Hey there, this is Brian. I'm the host of the Engaging Missions show. If you've found this show for the first time, I did want to take a second to let you know that this show is not currently in production. You're certainly welcome to check out all of the archives, but we don't have new episodes coming out at the moment. However, I did want to take a second to highlight one of the sponsors that sponsored the show a while ago. They're not currently sponsoring the show, but if you're looking for a place to invest in the kingdom, I'd recommend checking out Mega Voice Audio Bibles. You can find them at megavoice.com, or you'll find a link in the show notes. And I would encourage you to just check that out and see if maybe that's a fit for your giving. There's no compensation here or anything like that. I just wanted to highlight them. And with that, I'll get you back into the regular program. This is the Engaging Missions Show, Episode 251. This week, we're talking with Jordan Raybon about what God is doing in Belgium. Your well-roundedness is going to help you be able to speak into the various backgrounds uh, of your people. Welcome to the Engaging Missions Show, where we are bringing missions home. Here's your host, Brian Ensminger. Thanks so much for stopping by and welcome to the show. We believe that every missionary and church planner deserves to be heard and loved, and every believer deserves the opportunity to participate in what God is doing. Before I get into this, I do want to say a huge thank you to Aaron, David, and Kirsten, who recently reached out to me. I appreciate the messages, the encouragement, the feedback, and the suggestions. This week, we're going to be talking with our guest about how his church practices hospitality and some of the ways that he's learned to rest in God's strength rather than his own. I'm also in the middle of a fundraiser. I'll share a little bit more with you about that as we get through part of the interview. I also have a story of how God used a sermon and a prayer request to provide some clarity and some encouragement to me that I think might also be encouraging to you, but you're going to have to stick around to the very end for that. This week, our guest is Jordan Raybon. He's a husband and father who spent a few years as a youth pastor in the middle of Tennessee. Now he's the teaching pastor at a church in Brussels, Belgium. It's made up of more than 100 people who are quite literally from all over the world. And on a personal level, this was a really interesting connection for me because I used to carpool to work with Jordan's cousin, and I was connected with him through a previous neighbor. So this is really interesting to see how God has worked this together. And I also thought that it was a really wonderful conversation about what God is doing. Let's kick this off by talking a little bit about your church. We know that it's in Brussels, about 100 people or so, and they're literally from all over the world. But if you were sitting in a meeting room or maybe at an event or something, and somebody asked you what your church was like, what would you tell them about it? Yeah, man. So I think if I could do like a sentence, it would just be that our church is a growing and thriving community of believers from all over the world, like you just said. Man, I know that sometimes like the word thriving can sound a bit cliche when you're talking about like a church or an organization, but honestly, I, I don't know a better word for it. You know, people here love each other and it's a really like contagious love that they have for each other. You come through the doors of our of our of building and you just get this overwhelming sense of welcome from the people. I've heard guests here say that the reason they came back to our church was because they felt so cared for the first time they came. And it's been amazing to come into. You know, I, my family's still new here, so that's not something that that we did. That's not something that I taught from the pulpit, you know, and, and that and that's new. This is part of who these people are. And so, you know, they've welcomed me and, and my family in, into their church with with open arms. It's been incredible. So and man, people here are really eager to get involved and serve and do outreach into the community, and and it's amazing. And so it's it's really cool for me getting to preach on a Sunday and look out and see people who are from from all over the place, all over the world. It's it's an incredible place. That's that's great, and I, I appreciate you laying that out. I'm I'm intrigued by this sense of welcoming that that you mentioned mm-hmm. that people feel when they come, and I'm wondering having been there only a short time, are you able to look back and see from the history of the church or from the people there, what it is about this particular group of people that makes them so welcoming? Man, I'm trying to put my finger on it, actually. You know, I've thought about that for a while. Like, what is it that maybe is motivating this in in a way that I've never really seen before, or, or just in a way that's stronger than I've ever seen at other churches? You know, I speculate about a lot of things. It could be that 
you know, in Belgium, you have a lot of people who come to Brussels for a short season. And so they're looking for friends, they're looking for relationships. And so maybe people are quicker to sort of, you know, be welcoming and and want people in their life or something. I I don't know. I think that, you know, even when I came and visited this church for the first time a year ago, this is how it was. And this is just something that anytime when we were in the States, we'd send a team to to this church. They'd come back. They'd always say this, the church is so welcoming, so loving. You know, I, I don't know if I can put my finger on it, what it is. It's just, I think people here just, it's it's really like a family, which again is a really cliche word to say, but it's 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 honestly the best word to describe it. So hopefully I, 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 as I, as I learn more and am around more, I can get back to you and say, Hey, here's, here's some things I think, I think it is. But as for right now, we're just, we're just loving it and, and learning, wow. learning from them about how to be more welcoming. So yeah, that's, that's great. I, I really appreciate that. You, you took your family from middle Tennessee and you moved your, your entire family to Belgium. What, what has God revealed to you during that transition? Mm, several things. I think more than we, we even have time to go into. <laughs> so, so I think I'll, I'll point out the two biggest things. First, he, he, he's shown me a lot about his sufficiency in my inadequacy, right? You know, as we were processing this move, we, we, got, the, we got asked to move here in November, and then we moved here in June. So not a super long window. I mean, wow. just from here's the first time you hear about this until your family's on a plane and you're in another country. So not, not a long window. And we were scared. I mean, this is a huge move. And we've never done anything like this. Me and my wife had lived in the same town pretty much our whole lives. So this was a, this was a scary move. I mean, we're not talking about moving you know, to the other side of the state or, or to, another, you know, to another state altogether. We're, just, we're, we're going across the ocean. And we're on a different continent. Mm. And so and so it was scary. And then not to mention that, man, we, we came under this intense spiritual warfare in the months prior to our leaving. And so in that time, it was really every fear or insecurity I had about myself or my ministry or my family was really thrown in my face. I would think things like, you know, I'm too young for this. I don't have enough experience. What if I get over there and I can't give the people what they need? What if my family suffers because of all this? You know, on and on and on. But one day I remember that God took me to a really specific passage. I had been reading in Matthew. I maybe started out in Matthew, I don't know, 11. And I'd read a couple chapters and I was in Matthew 13. I was going to end my time, but I just felt this inclination in my spirit just to keep reading. I felt like maybe there's still something here the Lord wants to show me. And so it turns out in the next chapter, Matthew 14, I got to the story about Jesus feeding the 5,000, which is a really familiar story. Yeah. Right? I've read it many times about it in Sunday school or, or you know, on Sunday mornings in general for a long time. But I saw something in this passage I'd not noticed before. It was when the disciples tell Jesus, hey, Jesus, it's getting late. You know, party's over. We got to send the people back into town so they can they can get food. And Jesus tells them, he says, no, we don't need to do that. You give them something to eat. I never picked up on that phrase, you give them something to eat. And then they say, well, Jesus, we don't, we don't have enough. All we have is five loaves, two fish. And then Jesus says, okay, well, bring me what you have. And Jesus took the little food they have, or they had, and he blessed it, gave it back to them, and then they gave it to the people. And I remember God using that passage to help me realize that, yes, I am inadequate for the task, Mm. right? I don't have everything my people or my family will need from me, but I bring what I have as insufficient and as inadequate as it is. I bring what I have and give it to Christ with faith that he will bless it and then give the people what they need through me. So this idea of boasting in my weakness became really clear to me, right? The weaker I am, the greater capacity Christ has to demonstrate his strength, right? So Mm. my weakness, after reading this, my weakness began to feel less like a way for the enemy to attack me and more like a weapon that I had against him, right? Yes, I am inadequate, and I glory in that because it just gives Christ 
an opportunity to prove how sufficient and how strong he is. So that's number one, Christ's sufficiency and my inadequacy. I think the second thing, the second biggest thing was the reality that God is the, is the master and I'm the servant. Hmm. Something that I would have believed since I got saved, right? Jesus is my Lord and I'm his servant. But when it came time for my obedience to really cost me something, like, wow, <laughs> it really tested to see if I believe that. I think a lot of people with really good intentions try to plan out every detail of what they believe God's call on their life is, right? Oh, God's called me to do blank. Yeah. So here's a step-by-step process for how I'm going to do that, right? I know for me, God's called me to pastor. I have no doubt about that. But me being a planner, I wanted to map out every detail of my calling. So, you know, I'll do student ministry for this many years. And then whenever I'm this age, I want to move to, you know, a position like this. And then, and then I want to pastor a campus for this many years and then, and then blah, blah, blah. When we do this, I think we're unintentionally elevating ourselves to the position of master, right? Okay, here's what God wants me to do, but here's how I want to do it. Hmm. I th- but I think there are things that God has called us to do that he hasn't necessarily revealed to us yet. There are going to be moments of obedience that God calls us to that don't fit into the plan that we've made for ourselves, or even the plan we've made to fulfill his calling, or how we think we're going to fulfill his calling. I know that neither me or my wife had ever thought that we would serve in any sort of overseas ministry capacity. We always thought, that's great. This is an awesome thing. God God will bless this, but this is for other people. This isn't for us. We're called to ministry, but this is not. that's not the type of ministry God's called us to. But thank God he wasn't looking at my plans. Hmm. He's the master. And although I think it's good to be thoughtful about how you can see yourself practically working out God's call in your life, it's good to think about that. But we have to remember that at any point, God can and, and probably will blow up our plans. And God may have a different way to get you where he's taking you that conflicts with your plan. So when those moments come, I think we have to be willing to listen and obey, to hold our, our plans with a loose grip, and just be willing to obey when, when the time comes. Wow, that, that's, that's a mouthful right there, just being willing to obey yeah. when the time comes. I'm going to break in for just a second to let you know about the partnership drive that's going on with Engaging Missions. A lot of times I'm not able to share the specifics of things that I get back from people as far as how the show is impacting their lives. But what I hear from people is that sometimes when they're feeling down or they're wondering if they can keep going on, that they're able to continue because of the encouragement they received from the guests that we've had on. Or perhaps they've gathered something from that guest's story that helps them to keep going or to perhaps get past some kind of blockage. And I love having that kind of material available for the people who are able to listen. And what I'd really like to see is this show grow to reach more people. We're currently reaching three to 400 people per episode. I'd like to see us get that up to about 1,000. And I'm asking for you as a listener, especially as a longtime listener, to partner with me. I'm going to ask you to hold me accountable. If you hear something on the show that you think doesn't represent the best the show could be, let me know. I'm going to ask you to be an evangelist for the show, that anytime you find something on the show that you think will be valuable for someone you know, that you send that to them. I'm going to ask you to be an Engaging Missions prayer warrior, to pray for me, pray for the show, and pray for our listeners, that God would be able to accomplish everything that he has to accomplish through this show, through me, through us, and through the other people that haven't yet connected. And finally, if you're able, I would ask you to prayerfully consider partnering with me financially to help support the show. And I do mean prayerfully consider partnering with me. I'm not looking to get a bunch of money. I'm just asking that God would help provide for the show so that we can continue to grow to reach more people and to improve the quality of the show. If that sounds interesting to you, visit engagingmissions.com patron. I would love to connect with you there and to find out how we can continue to serve you and others better. And with that, we're going to get right back to the show. I'm thinking about yeah. this sense of sufficiency and some of the things that God taught you as you're preparing to, to go to Belgium. And I would imagine God's also given you the opportunity to walk through some, some, some obedience with that. I'm, I'm wondering, was there a time, you know, since you've been in Belgium, where you really had to rest on God's sufficiency and in your inadequacy? And can you tell us about that experience? Yeah. So, you know, a personal example would just be 
leading my family, leading my wife in this, you know, this move has had really, it's, there've been really hard moments. Mm. And I know that, you know, when my wife is maybe coming to me saying, Jordan, I'm feeling really homesick today, or I'm feeling just really discouraged today. You know, anytime you go into another culture capacity or another cultural setting, there comes the capacity to just have some really dis- you know, disappointing experiences. Maybe you go to the grocery store and you can't find what you need and you mm-hmm. can't ask anybody because you don't know how to ask it in their language, right? Or maybe you go to the counter and and the cashier is asking you a question. You don't understand what they mean. They don't speak English and then you feel like a big idiot. And so I've, in those moments of really, you know, where, where you're feeling really discouraged or disappointed in yourself, I don't know what to say. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, I, I, I don't know what, what, I, I don't know what to tell her in that, in that moment. Uh, really, all I can do is say, Morgan, you know, we've got to just throw ourselves on Christ right now, throw ourselves at his feet, throw ourselves in his word and just trust him, trust him that he will see us through this. He will, he will get us through this, that none of these moments that we're experiencing right now are for nothing. And so I think in the moments of just really intense discouragements or homesickness or, or whatever, I think just having to say, look, I don't have the words. I don't know the magic thing to say to, to make this all better. But what I do know is that there's a God we serve and he loves us and he cares for us, that he won't break a bruised reed, you know, he he yeah. won't kick us while we're down, that he that he loves us. And so I think just really trying to point myself and my wife to to Christ in these situations is just, I don't know, it's, that that's the clearest way I think trusting in his sufficiency. Yeah. In, in moments where we feel really, you know, discouraged or or just sad. Do you think that you could have learned how to trust God in that way without having left your comfort zone in Tennessee? Hmm. Well, I think so. I, I think I think there are many ways to learn the same lesson. Hmm. But I think that typically this this sort of trust in the sufficiency of Christ comes from times of hardship. Mm-hmm. So maybe we could have been in Tennessee where things were comfortable and easy, but maybe one of us got a, a bad report from the doctor, or we had a bad, something really hard go on with our family, or something happened with one of our children, or, or something, you know, something happened with our job, or something, something where our, our ability to trust in ourselves, or our own wisdom, or our own cunning, our own ability to sort of maneuver our way out of a situation, mm-hmm. you know, based on what we know or what we know how to do is sort of taken away. And then all we're left to do is trust Christ. I, I think that could have happened in Tennessee. Now you said your comfort zone in Tennessee. I think that in Tennessee or not, this is a lesson that you have to move outside your comfort zone to get. Oh. Now you can move out of your comfort zone while still staying in the same place. Yeah, I think there, there are many ways for that to happen. So I think for us personally, this is the way God chose to, to, to teach us that lesson among, among many other lessons. But yeah, that, that's a very astute observation. I appreciate you bringing that out because it, it it made me think about it differently as well. As you've come into this this work in Belgium, it was already there when you got there, and you're coming mm-hmm. in a little right. bit new. Has right. the, have there been any times when you thought things should turn out one way, but you began to realize that they weren't, and so you had to innovate or change things up in order to continue doing what you had planned to do? Yeah. So I agree that it's so important that people are able to hear and articulate the gospel, really, and I'd say really articulate the gospel in their heart language, because I think that people can hear the gospel and get saved in a second language, but if they don't know how to communicate the gospel in their heart language, which for anyone unfamiliar with, with heart language, that's just your first language, like yeah. the language that you, you pray in, talk to your parents and whatever. I mean, you maybe have gone into that on, on this podcast before, but if, if if they don't know how to communicate the gospel in their heart language, it's going to make it hard for them to take it back home and share it with their family and friends if their family and friends don't know that second language. Right? I heard a story about one guy who got saved here and was discipled in English, but then he went back home. And he, he told us that he did not know how to communicate the gospel to his family in his native language. Hmm. He didn't know the words for it. And that's really hard. It's hard to imagine where 
you know, if we're not careful, we don't want to make the gospel such an American thing or such an English language thing that people don't know, they, they don't know how to, I don't know how to communicate this in Spanish or mm-hmm. French or German or whatever. Now, I wish I had an answer for how to do this really well, <laughs> yeah. but here's what I'll say. Our church is here to reach French-speaking Belgians. Now, God has brought people from all over the world to our church, and I think that's just reflective of the community we're in. Brussels is, a, is an extremely multi-ethnic city, and so I love that our church reflects that. But the mission God gave us was to, to reach French-speaking Belgians, Belgians. So everything we do will either be, will, will all be in English and French, right? English is a good language that sort of levels the field. So most people know enough English to communicate if they aren't fluent. But the language we really try to contextualize in is French. And so, honestly, I don't know, I don't think it would be possible for us to do this for everyone's native language, unfortunately. I mean, you're looking at, you know, 40 plus nations represented in our church. I, I just don't know if it's possible to do that for everyone's language. And if it is, I need someone to tell me because we got to start doing it. Yeah. But the best thing that we can do for our people, you know, we work really hard with the French language. But maybe someone outside of that, I think the best thing we can do for them or that, or that we try to do is get them Bibles in their heart language. I think that's so important. Read the Bible in your heart language. Learn learn the gospel there. Be able to, to go to passages in the Bible in your own, in your heart language that you could use to share the gospel and just encounter God with. Two is point them to any resources we can find in their heart language, which isn't always easy. Mm. I think that Sometimes it takes moving out of a of an English speaking capacity to realize how limited resources are in other languages. I mean, I was blown away at compared to English how few French resources there were. Really? I mean, we're used to I mean, you walk into a Lifeway and you have these these huge stores with all these different books. I mean, think about, you know, anyone from the Bible Belt. You, there's like a million different Christian bookstores anywhere you go. Yeah. You know, you go on Amazon with all these Christian books and all these sorts of things. And, and we forget that there's a lot of people, a lot of Christians in the world who don't speak English and they don't have access, they cannot read all those things. And so sometimes pointing people to resources in their heart language is difficult, which is why I think it's good. You know, if, 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 if you are ever looking for any way to say, hey, I, I maybe want to give generously to some sort of organization or something above and beyond what I give to my church, maybe find an organization that translates resources and give to them and help them do that. Because this is what the, the, the global church needs that. We need more resources in different languages. And thankfully, let me say, a lot of people are doing that well. And I know I'm getting a little off topic, but a yeah. lot of people are doing that well. Lifeway is doing a good job of that. I've seen some stuff from Gospel Coalition come out in different languages. And, and I'm, I'm thankful for that, not to mention a, 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 lot of other, a lot of other organizations. But I think that's a good ministry effort that, that, that needs support, prayer and monetary support. So. And I think the third thing that we can do is is really try to help people find good churches in their home countries if they're ready, you know, when the time comes for them to move back home. A lot of people come to Brussels, they're here on a three-year, five-year work contract, and then they move back. And so when the time comes for them, we try to do everything we can to help point them to a solid Bible-believing church back in their home country, which again, is not always easy, but we we try to do whatever we can to, to help that. So but again, I'm still learning a lot in this area, and I hope that in the future, I could give a really specific, here's how to do this well. But I think, I think you know, that, that's just kind of what we try to do at this point. Like, just think about this for, for, for you and for anybody else listening. This, is, this blew me away when I came here. There, is, there are two that I know of, two Christian bookstores in the city. One of them maybe sells some questionable material. <laughs> like, you got to walk in, you're like, oh, yikes. Mm. And one of them, I think, would be a little bit more similar to like a, what a Lifeway would sell. But they're small. These are small mm. stores. You're, you're not walking into like a, you know, a Christian bookstore the size of a Kroger. I mean, like they're small. And, you know, you get on, even get on Amazon. For pe- anybody who doesn't know, Amazon in Europe is different than Amazon in the States. <laughs> like our Amazon account in the States was useless here. So you have to sign up for Amazon France or Amazon Germany. And finding books on Amazon is even a little bit more difficult. And so, man, I, I was shocked at that. Mm. I, I was shocked. And so if anyone's interested, just do a Google search. Pick a language and do a Google search and see what you can find in that language. Hopefully you can find more than you expect, but, but it's, it's really not going to be, it's not gonna be uh, you know, the same amount that you get in English. 
Yeah. How did you prepare for ministering in this multi-ethnic context? You only had a couple of months, so how did you prepare? Right, yeah. Well, that's a great question. My church back home is pretty multi-ethnic. You know, we're LifePoint Brussels. We're a, we're a campus of LifePoint Church in Middle Tennessee. And, and it's, it's, it's a multi-ethnic church. I think I'm, I'm thankful that our, our senior pastor and our, our senior leadership team, as well as just our people in general, are really sensitive about having a church that reflects the community, which is also multi-ethnic, the community that we're in, but also a church that reflects what heaven will be like. And I think it's a great thing that in evangelicalism today, we're hearing a lot more, more churches and pastors begin to say this, that you know we want our churches to look like heaven. We want our churches to reflect our community. And so, but multi-ethnic here is different in a lot of ways than hmm. multi-ethnic felt in the States. I mean, you, you can have a multi-ethnic church in the States, but you're all from the same country. You're all speaking the same language. You're all have a lot of similarities culturally. Now, there's some important and key differences that I think could be celebrated in the church, you know, cultural differences between people in the States. But I mean, here you're dealing with people who actually come from different countries and they actually speak different languages and they have a, a wide variety of theological and societal backgrounds. So I mean, how, how do you prepare for that? Yeah. And, and, you know, in a place where everyone's Compared to here, everyone's pretty similar. So, I mean, really, uh, a couple things I tried to do is just read about it, read about multi-ethnic church. Nine Marks Ministries put out a, a, a cool resource on this, so I spent some time reading that. I tried to listen to and read people who have different backgrounds from me, whether that's a cultural background or a theological background. I tried to seek wisdom from people who had spent many years thinking about this, but really, I'm still learning. I mean, I'm not sure there was, you know, you know, we went through missions training in the States and we talked about this kind of stuff, but really, I mean, until you're just kind of thrown into it, I, I, I don't know what else I could have done to prepare mm-hmm. other than just come here and begin to, to learn and, and listen. And, you know. As you think about having kind of jumped in with both feet, if you will, you had a couple of months to prepare to go to Belgium. Now you're there and you're there. And I'm wondering, as as you had to kind of jump into this culture, what has doing that revealed to you about the culture that you left and how you're relating to the culture you've entered into? Yeah. Yeah, it's been huge. I think that, you know, if you're ever going to move into another cultural capacity or another, another cultural context, I think that you need to know the culture you're going into well, but I, I don't think you should neglect learning your own culture too. And that might sound weird, learning your own culture, but we shouldn't assume that we realize everything we, t- we need to know about our culture just because it's our culture. I think there are elements of our home culture that we don't realize exist until we leave. And knowing those things beforehand is going to help sort of adjust expectations when you move to a different culture. And I think even relieve some frustrations, not all, like you're, you're going to be frustrated when you move into a different culture. Mm. And that's not, that's not because the other culture has things wrong with it. It's just because it's not how you do things. They may have different values than you have. Like, like for example, I think Americans, we are wired for efficiency and we may or may not realize it, but we orient our lives around being productive. Mm. And uh, I think we measure the successfulness of our day based on how much we're able to get done right? We wear busyness like a badge of honor in America. You know, you ask someone, hey, how you doing? And they say, oh, I'm staying busy. (laughs) You know, like it's ingrained in us, like work hard, be efficient, be productive. But here, the mindset is different. So they really value vacation time here. I mean, people here think that it is unbelievable that in the States, I got 10 days of vacation. They cannot believe that. They're like, what? That's a little vacation. Like, like, how do you survive? You know, people here really value that. They value that. They value their leisure. People work hard. I I don't, I don't want to miss that. People work really hard here, but it doesn't seem like people live to work like they do in the States, you know, where sometimes in the States, it feels like we just live to work, you know, and here maybe they, they work so they can live, you know, they work so they can do things, you know, like, like I, I will, I will always amazed at people who will save up money, save up, you know, thousands of euros. And then one summer 
go on a month long vacation where they're going to all sorts of different countries all around the world. And I'm thinking they're going to spend all that money they saved up. Mm. They shouldn't, you know, didn't they just sit on that? Don't they want to buy a house one day or don't they want to do all these things that we kind of think of as an American? Like, no, we, we gotta, we gotta work hard and kind of sit on this so we can, we can, you know, buy some big stuff or whatever. But when I talk to people here, they're like, oh man, I, I want to go live. I want to go experience life and stuff. So, but I, I think, I think, you know, Americans are really value are, are really wired to value efficiency. But I think that, you know, when you come here, things might not be wired for super high American standard efficiency mm. because they value different things, right? It's not that, oh, people here are inefficient. It's that they value different things and the, right. the efficiency reflects the values, right? So most things will be closed here on Sundays and they do it because they value people's family time. They, they don't think people should be working on Sunday. You should be, be at home with your family. Nothing is 24 hour is open 24 hours here. Nothing. I've not seen anything that's open 24 hours here. You know, used to, and, and, you know, I, I could, if I really wanted something and let's say I woke up at 2 a.m. and I had a hankering for something, I could go to Kroger and get it. This is 24 hours. Go to Walmart and get it, but not here. Mm. They don't, you know, from what I've, what I've talked to people, they say, no, no one should have to be working at 3 a.m. People should be home with their families. People should be sleeping <laughs> at 3 a.m. Many things close in the evenings. You know, you want to go to the grocery store? Well, it closes at seven. So get done with work and get there quick because that place closes. You know, they close at seven, eight o'clock. And, and when it closes, you know, you know, that's it. Like you have to wait till tomorrow because hmm. they're, all, they're all closed. You know, like I said before, people take a month of vacation here because you know, that, that, that's a value for them. Businesses, this was shocking to me. Businesses will even close for a couple weeks or a month in the summer so that their owners can go on vacation. So the owners and the employees can go on vacation. The values are just different. And so I think knowing your own cultural values versus the new cultural values is going to be so important if you want to avoid some frustration. Now, again, it will frustrate you, but I think if you can go in with the mindset of, okay, I kind of I know, here's how I expect things to be. Here's how they expect things to be. So if I can, if I can adjust that and set some good expectations, maybe it won't be so frustrating when those things sort of clash. Yeah. One of the reasons I, I asked that question is because I like to understand the cultural context. And I'm also wondering, when you, when you present the gospel, when you're discipling people, I would imagine that you're having to, to make it understandable and relatable to people who are from a different, different culture. And so you're going to do the best that you can. Are, are there also any downsides or any things to watch out for when you're contextualizing the gospel and trying to make it relatable? Yeah. I think that a danger that could come would be the temptation to compromise the gospel when you're trying to contextualize the gospel. Hmm. So contextualization doesn't mean that you change the message. It means it, you, you, you change the way you may present the message in a way that might make sense to the person hearing it. You know, if you take a missions class in Bible school or you read a book on missions, you're going to learn about this kind of stuff where you know, different cultures have different ways of communicating things. Like, for example, like in Western, you know, countries like ours who are in Europe, even who are very influenced by sort of Greco-Roman thought, we kind of deal in, you know, guilty, innocent mentality, where the idea of you're guilty before God and Jesus, the innocent one died, took your punishment, so that you could become innocent before God, so that you, you would be forgiven and it would be as if you were innocent before God. That sort of guilty innocent makes sense to us because that's how we think. We think in a sort of justice mentality in that way. Whereas you go to another culture and maybe guilty innocent doesn't, doesn't mean as much for them. Maybe they're thinking clean, unclean. You know, we don't really think that way. We don't really think about being unclean or being clean. And so if you're communicating the gospel to someone from a culture like that, then I think you're not saying Jesus died to take your guilt so that, you know, you could become as if you were innocent. Mm. You know, you'd say Jesus was clean and you were unclean and Jesus died so that he could purify you and make you clean before a, a, you know, a perfect God or whatever. I think, so that's kind of what contextualizing is. It's not, we're not changing the message. We're just changing the way we deliver it in a way that makes sense for someone. So it's not just kind of, you know, going blank on people. But it's important to know the gospel is always going to be countercultural, no matter what culture you're in, always. 
And if our contextualization is really a masked attempt to water down the gospel, to make it more palatable for lost people, we're not only doing them a disservice, but we're dishonoring the Lord. And so it's important that the gospel makes sense for people based on their context. And that's hard work to make sure that we're contextualizing it well, but we can't lose the gospel in our contextualization or shy away from some of the hard parts of it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's that's good. As we're as we're kind of drawing this to a close, I, I just have a couple of questions left for you. And I'm wondering, first, if you were if you were able to go back a couple of years ago now and give yourself some advice, what would you tell yourself? Oh my gosh. <laughs> so many things. <laughs> I think and, and that's a good thing. I think, you know, if you can think back to yourself a few years ago and you sort of cringe a little bit and you're like, oh my gosh, I wish I could tell myself this, this, this. At least that means like, hopefully you're learning. Like you have learned some things over the years. So a couple things I think I could think of. One is take your godliness seriously. Like take your godliness so seriously. Look, I, I love theology. I love to read. I love listening to sermons and podcasts and all that stuff. And all of that is great. And I encourage people to do that. I think it's good to read and learn as much as you can. But in doing these things, don't neglect the spiritual disciplines. Don't neglect to pursue holiness. Don't neglect to kill your sin. You know, I think a mistake that I kind of made maybe when I was younger was thinking that all that stood between me and greater godliness was if I could just read another book or if I just knew a little bit more, a little bit more about this particular doctrine. I think those are great. And I think God can use those things to help propel us toward greater godliness. But I think it can't be at the expense of really devoting yourself to prayer, fasting, spending time really just sitting in God's Word, not even necessarily in a sort of academic way, which I think is good to, to go to God's Word and wear your academic hat every once in a while and say, okay, I'm going to learn here. I'm going to really understand what's going on, but just going there to sit at the feet of Jesus and let Him transform your heart and change you, not just fill your mind with things, which again, I think the mind is a, is a great pathway to your heart. So look, one Bible teacher, Jen Wilkin, says, you know, the mind or the heart cannot love what the mind doesn't know. Hmm. And I think that that's, that's important. But don't neglect the pursuit of greater godliness and your pursuit to understand theology better or your pursuit to read more books or listen to more lectures or, or whatever that is. Don't neglect the pursuit of greater godliness. I think the second thing I'd say is, oh, well, it, you know, first, let me, let me say this too, because I want to tie this back to a sort of missional mindset on the godliness piece. Hmm. Your godliness is going to be what makes you attractive to your neighbors. And it's going to be what makes you a good servant to your church. It's going to be what really helps you stand out in a missional context when you're dealing with people who are from a different, a different culture. Because your godliness is going to go deeper than your Americanness or your, you know, wherever else you might be from. The gospel is going to go deeper than that. It's going to, it's transforming you on a deeper level, and people are going to be able to see that. Hmm. You're not just different from me because you're from a different country. There's something else. You just feel like a different kind of person, right? People will hopefully think. So your godliness is going to be what really makes you attractive to your neighbors, to the people you're trying to win to Christ. And the gospel is going to be what gives credibility. Or I'm sorry, uh, your godliness is going to be what gives credibility to the gospel you're sharing. People have to be able to see that it's made a difference in you. So, okay, second. Second thing I'd say to myself, I could go back, is Jordan, expand your influences. I think it'd be huge. <laughs> you know, be willing to read and listen to people outside of your certain theological or denominational tribe. We can be secure in what we believe. We can know what are the essential things I'm not going to budge on. But I think it's good for us to be willing to hear from people with charity and, and how we're hearing them who come from some, maybe some different camps. Now, I think that it's good to, I'm not saying go listen to someone who would deny maybe something that would put them outside of orthodoxy. Mm -hmm. I think, okay, if that's, that's a good line to draw. I'm going to really listen to and, and allow myself to be influenced by people who are within the bounds of what Christianity is, right? But I think some of those second tier issues, some of the things that might kind of split denominations or sort of split theological camps, it's good to listen to people from out, out, you know, outside of your tribe. And you can do it without feeling like you're going to 
lose some of the some of the things that are important to you. Some of the things that, man, I, when I go to scripture, I see this doctrine very clearly, and I can listen to someone who maybe doesn't see that and and be fine. I'm I'm, I'm going to be fine. It's not going to be you know, my whole world's not going to be flipped upside down because of that. But I think that it, it's there's a danger that can happen, and I, and, I, and I used to do this. I think. And I could still do this if I'm not careful, where we sort of get in a theological echo chamber of I'm only listening to people who have the hyper-specific views on really specific details that I have. I think it's good to expand your influences and allow other, you know, allow yourself to listen to what other people have to say. I mean, I've been blessed recently by listening or reading to and listening to the late Eugene Peterson. Yeah. And I think that a few years ago, I probably wouldn't have had much interest in that. I would just want to listen to people who fit into really what's my exact theological mindset. But man, it's been a blessing. And you know, I, I don't agree with everything I read from. I, don't, I wouldn't say everything the exact way he said it. But man, still, there's so much there that I think, wow, this is, I've never thought about this that way before. Yeah. And I've, I've, you know, I've never heard this explained that way before. Man, this is, this is great. So I think that being willing to do that would, would be good. And I think that Again, I'm, I'm going to take it back to the sort of missional application is that your well-roundedness is going to help you be able to speak into the various backgrounds of your people if you're pastoring in a, multi, a multinational context or if you're just going to work there. In my church, I have people from all over the place theologically. I mean, I have people who are raised Catholic. I have people who are raised Eastern Orthodox. I have people who are raised very charismatic. I have people who were raised very, you know, high church Anglican, and they're all here together. Wow. And it 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 does me a great service if I am familiar with why do these people think how they think? You know, someone who leans more charismatic, what are some of the the leaders of that of that sort of tribe? What are they saying? What are they teaching? Hmm. What are they getting right that I've missed? What are some maybe areas that okay, I don't agree with that. And I can explain why I don't agree with that in a, in a graceful and charitable way. Or people who come from a Roman Catholic background, you know, how, how, what, what are they teaching? Like, what are they saying? Like, how can that help me as I'm ministering to people who grew up in that? And so I think, I think it's just going to make you a better servant to your people. It's going to make you better, you know, a more well-rounded minister to the people who can, who can speak on a, on, on, a, on a wider variety of topics and speak with some more wisdom on those things because you've allowed people from all over to, to really speak into you without, without threatening the things that you really, the, the things that are important to you and that you hold to. I think that it shows a great level of insecurity in what you believe if you can't bring yourself to read or listen to someone outside of your sort of theological camp. I think yeah. that just shows you're, you're not sure in what you believe. So be secure, be confident. You have your convictions you've got from scripture. That's great. Listen to some people outside of that. Maybe they can point out some things to you that you missed, and that'd be good. But anyway, so I think I think among many, many, many things, those would be a couple things I'd say: is take your godliness very seriously, and expand your influences. Wow, that's that's great. As, as we draw this to a close, just one last question: How can we best pray for you? Yeah. So, a couple things is we are so excited. My wife and I, we have one son right now. He's he's one years old, and he's crazy. Oh my gosh, he's nuts. But we are about to welcome another baby girl into the world. Her name's mm. Nora. And so by the time this airs, she will probably be born. <laughs> and so just help us, like pray that God would help us be able to manage two of these babies. You know, I think getting around the, the city without a car and, you know, all this walking that we're having to do, public transit, it's difficult with one baby. And so we're just kind of like, racking our brains, like, how are we going to do this with two? You know, we see people do it, so we know it's possible, but how are we going to do it? You know, so I think just praying for my family in that way and, and for my daughter. Second would just be our church. I mean, God has been so faithful to bring people, you know, every week he's bringing new people here. And it's been so amazing to see all the guests, and all the new faces that, that, that we're reaching. And so pray that we would be able to engage our community even better that God would give us new avenues to go down that would give us greater influence and greater capacity to reach people in, 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 our, in our neighborhood here in Brussels, and that our church would just continue to thrive and people would continue to just 
grow in their love for each other and that people would would grow here in their in their understanding and love for the gospel and that they would be compelled to take the gospel into their workplaces take it into their you know you know the the daycares they drop their kids off at and, and all that stuff so just my family that'd be great our church here and even the uh, our other pastors here I, I need to mention we have three other pastors here i'm the teaching pastor and we have three other men who serve in, in a pastoral role alongside me so praying for them and their families that would be that would be such a blessing to us yeah for, for those of you that are listening i would like to encourage you go ahead and pause the recording and do that right now pray for jordan and his family for the leadership in the church and for the church at large I know that my experience has been that if I think I'm going to do it later, I'm probably going to forget. So I'd encourage you to just go ahead and do that right now and then just come on back. Jordan, I want to say thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this and working through the technology. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Truly, it's been a blessing. I'd like to share with you a surprising way that God worked in my life this past weekend. It it involves a sermon and a prayer request And it provided some clarity and some encouragement for me. And my hope is that maybe this will also apply to you or to somebody that you know. I'll set the stage here. It was this past Sunday as I'm recording this, and we've been spending some time in this church learning about things like prayer and praise, some of the things that are important to understand and to to review from time to time. And we were talking about a little bit about loving the Lord with all our hearts, souls, minds, and strength. And we we specifically talked a little bit about the idea that loving or expressing love through worship can sometimes leave us exhausted when we're worshiping with all of our strength. And and when we're doing that, maybe we're leaving it all in the field, so to speak. And as I pondered that, I, I thought about that for a while. And I think it applies to me sometimes because I often feel like I'm stretched to just past what I have, that God allows me to go just a little bit further than what I have in myself the capability to do. But that's when God shows up if I'll let him. It's, I'm reminded that his strength is made perfect in my weakness. A little bit later, I had the chance to pray with a gentleman. In this case, he didn't actually have a specific prayer request. He wasn't asking God for anything. He had a story to tell of how God had worked wonderfully in his life. And that's that's a bit of praise. He teaches a class for some young people, and he'd been bummed because over the past week, he hadn't been able to prepare as well as he'd hoped, as well as he'd become accustomed to. And so he felt like he was kind of stepping in a little bit unprepared. And he was feeling down about that because he takes his responsibility to to share the love of Christ with young people very, very seriously. But as he started his lesson, the kids really surprised him by letting him know how much they appreciated him. And as we were talking, I just thought, isn't that just like God, to step in and provide some encouragement at just the right moment? And as we were talking about that, I was, you know, so many things going through my mind, but one thing that I was reminded of is that it's God's kindness to lead lead us to repentance. And I I can look so many times in my own life and see how God has continued to show me kindness that leads me to repentance. Now, you might be asking, why am I telling you this? Well, I don't necessarily know your specific situation, but if you're like a lot of people, there's a good chance that maybe you're overwhelmed or maybe you're lonely or brokenhearted. Maybe you're feeling stretched beyond the end of yourself. Maybe you're struggling financially. And if you're in one of those places, I'd like to encourage you to do a couple of things. First, if you haven't already, and I know that you know this, but if you haven't already, take it to God and talk to him about it. He knows what's going on. He's not afraid of that conversation, and he's a good God. Man, he loves you so much. The second thing I would encourage you to do is to take that experience and begin to praise God in the middle of it. And I know sometimes it's hard. Believe me, I deal with this kind of thing too. It's sometimes hard to take a rough situation and turn that around and remind yourself of how God, how good God is. But when you do, it shifts things. And I, I would just like to encourage you and remind you, if, if I can, if I could be so bold, I'd just like to encourage you specifically, what you do matters, whether you're vocational in ministry, church planting, or missions, whether you are in the marketplace, whether you're straddling both worlds, however God is working in and through your life, what you do matters. 
Who you are matters. You matter deeply to God as a person. He loves you. He's there for you. And he's making something beautiful in and through your life right now, even if it's uncomfortable. And I know that I can say that in faith, even though I don't necessarily know every one of you. I know that I can say that in faith because that's what God's word says that he does. In some cases, I wish that I had specific answers for you when it comes to things like fundraising or things like that, but I do know the answer that I do have, and that's that God cares. He has the answer, and he's always at work. If I could be so bold, I'd like to ask one other thing of you. If you have an experience where you've seen God work in a similar way, provide encouragement or provide answers or things like that, I'd like to ask you to send that to me at feedback at engagingmissions.com. I would love to be able to share a little bit about your story so that maybe we can all be encouraged together because you as a listener, maybe you've never been a featured guest on the show, but what God does in your life matters and what God can do in and through you might just blow the doors off of somebody else who's struggling with something similar and can't see the answer, or maybe doesn't have the perspective that you have. So I'd encourage you to do that. Send that to feedback at engagingmissions.com. Just send me an email and say, hey, I've got a story. We'll start that dialogue over email, and we'll see what we can come up with, because I'd really love to feature some of the things that God's been doing in your life as well. That's feedback at engagingmissions.com. I'd love to have the opportunity to share some of how God's worked in your life as well. I'd like to say one more huge thank you to Jordan Raybon for taking the time to share his story with us and also to you for joining us. Show notes are available at engagingmissions.com slash Jordan Raybon. You're going to want to check those out, especially if you want to connect with our guests. That's the best way to find those. If you're listening in your favorite podcast app, you may very well be able to tap or swipe or get there that way. If you're not, engagingmissions.com slash Jordan Raybon. Make sure that you come back in a couple of weeks. We're going to be hearing from Aaron Myers about a really interesting discipleship training program that's available and based here in the U.S., and also the rather interesting journey that God took him on to get him there. You're going to want to make sure that you don't miss that. And if you want to hear it, the very best way to do that, if you haven't already, is to subscribe in your favorite podcast app at engagingmissions.com slash subscribe. If you go right there, engagingmissions.com slash subscribe, we've got ways for you to connect with just about any device that you would want to have it delivered to. And if you have enjoyed this show, if you know somebody who you think would benefit from it, especially somebody who would benefit very specifically from what Jordan shared, I would encourage you to spread the word. Your recommendation to somebody that you know might be what God uses to make that connection so that they can receive something from you. This would be a great opportunity to sow into the kingdom in that way. One more time, I appreciate you being here. I appreciate Jeff and Gabby for the work that they do on this show. And I can't wait to share Aaron's story with you in just a couple of weeks.